uh, sound check is this, it sounds good, isn't it? Great. So good morning. Today is, you know, we're coming towards the end of the retreat. We have two more full days, which is quite a lot. Some retreats are even, you know, just weekend retreats. So it is still a long time. And probably, you know, some of you will feel a little bit stirring already, like, oh, it's coming to the end of the retreat. And then already thinking, it doesn't really matter now, it's almost done. But actually, I wouldn't suggest that this is a good idea. And, you know, especially, you know, when the stirring be- begins, if, if we can really be aware of that, and uh, you just uh, make space for it, but not become it. You know, that's like the great... Uh, teaching of the Buddha really in a, in a contemporary way expressed this um, middle way you know, between not suppressing and not indulging and as we meet our experience in that way it starts to open up which is not always a pleasant experience but you know, over time, we really get the hang of it and we can uh, develop enough confidence in the practice that we can hang in there. And along those lines, and I'd like to share two poems with you this morning. The first one is by Tissa. First, a little bit about her life, as much as we know. And it's, again... A pattern, you know, which we have already um, heard with several of the other nuns. Tissa was born in the Sakyan royal family, the same family as the Buddha, Buddha's birth family. When she reached adulthood, she was one of the future Buddha's concubines. Later, she joined Mahabhachapati Gotami in becoming a bhikkhuni. And here again, the Buddha sent a vision of himself to her and used to speak this verse to her. She was enlightened from hearing this verse, and here this verse is repeated. Tissa, spoken by the Buddha to her, and that's from the word-for-word translation by Charles Halisey. Tissa, Train yourself strictly. Don't let what can hold you back overwhelm you. When you are free from everything that holds you back, you can live in the world without the... I don't know how to say that. Without the depravities that ooze out from within. So that's, you know, old language. But I think you can get a hint of it what's meant with that that ooze out from within and then you know that oozing out from within colors everything in the present moment and we can become aware of that you know what's really what's happening and what's added to what's happening and that's the process of uh, you know removing those cognitive and emotional filters which keep us imprisoned in the past 
and I also brought the reimagination by Mary Weingast. Tissa the third. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a thought of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world a free woman. So that's another way of saying exactly the same thing. And uh, these two ways you know, of expressing that same truth, one is you know, coming from us from the past, from a very long line of transmission, and the other one just being a poem which has arisen, you know, out of that inspiration from the original saying. So how both of them can speak to us and some of us, you know, are more reached by the original version and some of us are more reached by the reimagination and everything in between. And, uh, you know, because it, it starts to touch something in us which wakes up, you know, if there is the right impulse, something in us can wake up which can be giving us the energy and the courage and openness, you know, to really trust and have confidence in our own capacity for awakening and also in, in the fact that impermanence is really operating. We don't have to, you know, split off an unpleasant energetic experience in the body. We can just trust that this is impermanent and we can be with it. And the central source of that strength is our innermost aspiration, our intention, our motivation, which we are bringing on the path and which has brought all of us here. And, you know, since we are doing this retreat, every morning we were, uh, you know, asking you to remember this motivation which brought you here, which, you know, inspires you to practice. And if we can be very clear, connected with that, that can give us a sense of uh, energy, which isn't something we have to crank up ourselves, but there is a sense of uh, a greater mysterious process happening. And uh, so it's the sincerity of our heart wish, which opens us up to see things differently and His Holiness the Dalai Lama, you know, is uh, on record for having said, awakening does not happen without a sincere motivation. Then, you know, we are just like, rather, you know, having an interesting, uh, you know, exercise, going to the gym, doing some other kind of sports, and then doing also a little bit of meditation, just, you know, when it fits in. But this is a very different approach, what I'm speaking about. If you really want to tear down these walls, it takes much more than just, you know, when we feel like it. Especially when we, when we not feel like it, then it's very important, I think, to, you know, see what's happening. 
And this is very different from sheer willpower or goal orientation because that closes us down. You know, that's kind of a tunnel vision. I want to get there and I'm all, and that's all which I care for. It's, it's not like that. It's like a, an interest, like an openness, an openness to be informed by life and to use, you know, those different uh, tools which the Buddha has left for us to help us to see in a different way than usual. And uh, in the daily chanting in our monastery, there is, um, this is often chanted as the uh, beginning of the chanting. It's, it's homage to the Buddha, which we have already done together. And then it's also homage to the Dhamma and homage to the Sangha. And the Dhamma is here, is um, defined uh, through six qualities. And I'd just like to share that with you. So the first one is, the Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One. And then the first quality is Santitiko. It's apparent here and now. You know, any moment we pay attention to what's happening, it's, it's apparent. It's timeless. Akaliko, Ehipasiko, encouraging investigation. Opanaiko, leading inwards or leading onwards. And that's the quality I'm particularly, you know, focusing on when speaking today that, you know, if we are living according to the Dhamma and if we are practicing according to the Dhamma, it's going to lead us onwards or inwards. There's different translations about this word. And in our chanting book, I remember in Amravati, one edition it was inwards and the next one it was onwards and then inwards again. People had different opinions, but I think for me it's more like onwards, really. And I have really uh, seen that in my own life that, uh, that life responds. You know, the Dhamma does respond through life circumstances which are coming together and which are often like very surprising, you know, how did that happen or how did that happen? And I have a sense, you know, that the sincerity of our application of the practice does get reflected back through our life. And, you know, through the people we are starting to associating with and through uh, different things which we seem to uh, attract, you know, because we are different. And then our whole life becomes different. And then this, uh, the sixth quality is Pachatang Vedita Bovinyuhi, that means to be experienced individually by the wise. So, you know, nobody can give us the Dhamma. We can give the toolkit, you know, with the different tools in it. But then everyone has to apply them by themselves. And then, you know, experience understood is wisdom or becomes wisdom. And wisdom is not a body of knowledge, you know, that we have learned by heart, you know, the suttas or that we know on which page number they are, all of those things that can be helpful because we need to have a framework in order to practice, you know, effectively really. But 
wisdom itself, you know, it's, it's a much more an active quality which we bring into every situation, same as uh, compassion. It's the other side of the coin. Wisdom and compassion, they are two sides of a coin. And if wisdom is true wisdom, it is also compassionate. And if compassion is true compassion, it is done in a way which is also wise, you know, not excluding ourselves from the circle of compassion, but, you know, a compassion which leads to greater independence of whoever we want to, you know, kind of uh, reach with our compassion. It's, it's not, you know, what sometimes is called idiot compassion, where it's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever kind of a thing. I, I support you, I support you. So that can sometimes, you know, be just like another um, trap. And, you know, if, as, as I've said before also, you know, it all starts with, with uh, hearing the Dhamma, you know, from another at one point in our lives. That's the external, uh, most important condition. And the internal most important condition is uh, Yoniso Manasikara, thorough or radical attention or contemplation of our own experience. And as I said, the word yoni means womb. And you know, coming back to the root of our experience, and that's not out there, but it's in here. To start to see you know, that how we experience the world has a lot to do with what we are projecting. You know, from our inner world, our conditioning. And also, you know, like quantum physics has exactly come to the same conclusion that, you know, all experiences which can be measured in any way, they always include also that which is looking at the experience. And depending how we look at the experience, it appears to be different. So it always, again, appears to confirm our expectations. And I'm sure you have, uh, you know, been able to witness that on the retreat already. I certainly have. And it's not like a bad thing, but it's, it's a bad thing if we don't know it. So, your know, Panya wisdom is uh, like a, you know, like a sharp knife which can discern and you know and being able to sense truth and significance and recognizing that what is real and it's a particular intelligence a particular sensitivity capacity for intuition clarity and it comes through personal experience it's realized individually by the wise. And then the second quality, sadha, confidence and faith, allows then this insight, you know, to be lived and spread out through our lives. Because if we just know it and not living it, then that's not very much um, leading us onwards. Because we have to live it in order for it to be integrated 
and then reverberate out through our life and changing our life. It's like the weight of that sharp blade. It needs, if it's just a sharp blade, it's not powerful enough. It also needs to have weight in order to cut through. And in order you know, to have the strength to really get into this and live it, actualize it. So to realize it and then to actualize it through living it. And that often you know, can be the scary thing, you know, because then, uh, you know, maybe our whole uh, field in which we are living, you know, doesn't want us to change. And then, you know, to have that um, clarity that we are still going through with this, that sometimes very difficult. So then our whole life can uh, start to shift. In my case, that was like that very much, you know. I, uh, I completely, uh, when, when I started to connect with the Dharma in my late 20s, uh, my whole circle of friends completely, sh- everything shifted. And it was rather scary and felt very lonely. And, you know, people thought I had gone a bit nuts because I had been falling uh, prey to a cult and all of those things. It wasn't kind of easy, you know, to stick with that. But obviously I did. It was not so difficult, you know. It was difficult, but not too difficult. And, you know, this is like uh, intertwining processes, the realization and the actualization. And, and the Dharma responds through life circumstances. And I still remember I've had in my life several of these very significant moments, you know, where I didn't know what to do in order to continue on my path. And then the most odd things happened, you know. Just one example when I was with my first teacher in the south of Thailand in that forest monastery, he was already in his mid-80s and very ill, you know, and I knew once he has passed away, I don't want to stay here because I don't want to be, you know, kind of training myself in being a handmaiden to the monks. And so I was thinking, where should I go at that time? You know, there were no... There was no internet. I didn't know anything about Buddhism. That was the first monastery I've ever been and so on. And I thought, where should I go? Where should I go? I don't know where to go. And then one day I, I walked into the meditation hall for the foreigners and there was a book and I picked it up. And Amaravati Buddhist Monastery, England, chanting book. And I said, I go there. <laughs> and, and then I went there and... and and it was exactly, at that time, the right environment for me, you know. And things like that, that, a few of those have happened, surely like five or so, which were very significant turning points. I hadn't in no way could I have manipulated that, you know. And so I have really experienced that, that the Dharma is leading us onwards if we are really doing it. You know, it's like... In in German, we have a, a saying which says, you know, as you are calling into the forest, so it's coming back to you, the echo, you know. And then we can experience it sometimes really like a blessing, really, the echo which comes, you know, from the true sincerity of our own heart. I heard, you know, Sokni Rinpoche saying, um, you know, the... The dedication, the, the motivation of the path is like um, uh, a satellite dish, 
you know if it's if it's a really strong sturdy motivation it can receive a lot of blessings and those blessings might sometimes come in disguise you know they mightn't be a pleasant experiences on in a conventional uh, way but they can uh, help us to uh, be clear what our priorities are and that's the greatest blessing really to have So these intertwining processes and the Dharma responding through life circumstances because the Dharma really wants to be realized, you know. And uh, it's like a call and response between the heart and the truth, you know, which can manifest, you know, anywhere. doesn't need to be a, a, a retreat center, really. It can be anywhere. So that the deliberation, you know, arises from both physical and mental activities conjoined. And, you know, that was, for example, also a reason why I didn't want to continue to live in a monastery where uh, the nuns were perpetually you know, junior to the monks in everything. Because I felt like if I enact that on a daily basis, it will harm me, you know. It will harm my capacity for waking up because it will take away of my courage and it will, in a way, you know, kind of pull me down. And for, you know, for when I was still a young monastic, that was a very good training for me. But then when I grew up, somehow then, uh, you know, it was it became stifling. So, and then again, you know, something happened and uh, somebody arrived and opened the door for for us to to leave the situation. So I have real faith in the Dharma responding to our sincere motivation. And uh, the only thing we need to be willing to do is to give up comfort. And, you know, looking at the climate situation, that's anyway, which is uh, our lot. You know, especially us, when we go back to California, we'll see what's left of the monastery we have been uh, building up for several years now. So, you know, but I keep an open mind because it's much better than shutting down and feeling, you know, feeling a victim of life. It doesn't really help. So letting go of ballast, if we want to arrive at a, at a greater perspective, like when you are traveling in a balloon, you know, we have to throw down the bags of sand and then we just, we have a bigger overview. We see more how things are connected. We understand conditionality better and that results in letting go. Experience understood is wisdom and compassion. And, and, you know, it starts with information, which we are hearing somewhere or reading somewhere, and then it becomes knowledge. And then through actualizing it, through living it, it becomes more and more intuitive understanding, a non-conceptual wisdom, which is willing, you know, to give up comfort for truth. Letting go of me, so to say, you know, 
and fully responding to the wisdom and, uh, and giving ourselves to the path and then the path opens up more and more and it's a mysterious process and uh, I have one more poem today which is by Bhikkhuni Vichaya and first I'm going to read the original word-for-word translation by Charles Hallisay because that was always my one of my favorite poems because it reminds me a lot of my own career, so to say, as a nun. Four times, five times, I went out from the monastery with no peace in my heart, no control over my mind. I approached the nun, honored her, questioned her. She taught me the Dhamma about physicality and the senses, about the Four Noble Truths, about how we know what we know and powers that can be cultivated, about what brings us to awakening, the Eightfold Path to the Highest Goal. I listened to what she said and did what she taught, In the first watch of the night, I remembered my previous birth. In the middle watch, I became able to see what was not visible. And in the last watch, I split open the mass of mental darkness. And so I lived, filling my body with joy and happiness. Seven days after splitting open the mass of mental darkness, I stretched out my feet. You know, when I was speaking about myself, I spoke about the beginning of the poem, (laughs) to to clarify. But still, I think it's a very powerful poem because it speaks about that, you know, um, endurance, which we need to bring on the path, or or sada, faith, you know, which uh, comes from not, you know, just blind believing anything because somebody tells us, but to keep an open heart, to to be willing, you know, to be surprised. Because if you are not willing to be surprised, there's no space for that to take place. And uh, now a little bit about Vichaya, who is the the one, you know, from whom this poem, poem comes. And she was Vichaya was a very dear friend of Kema, which is one of the nuns out there on the right side of Mahabachapati. And Kema was considered to have had the clearest insight. She was the foremost in wisdom. So both of them were born in Rajagaha, Bimbisara's, King Bimbisara's capital city. Vijaya was from a humble background and Kema, by contrast, had grown up in luxury. Yet the bond between them was so strong that when Kema decided to become a nun, Vichaya, having listened to Kema's teaching, came to the same resolve. And like Kema, Vichaya was naturally gifted and swiftly realized the highest truth. Vichaya was one among the nuns whom Mara attempted to seduce by taking the form of a beautiful young man. He told her that she was young and attractive that he was too and that they should enjoy each other. 
Vijaya's reply was in keeping with her training. She said, I delight in observing emptiness, the unreality of the body, and don't desire your soft touches. My ignorance is dispelled. Mara, having no power over her, went away. And this is her, her poem. Four or five in the translation now by um, Susan Mercott, which is not word for word, but quite close to the original. Four or five times I left my cell. I had no peace of mind, no control over mind. I went to a nun and respectfully asked her questions. She taught me the Dharma, earth, water, fire and air, the nature of perception, the four noble truths, the faculties, the powers, the seven qualities of enlightenment and the eightfold way to the highest goal. When I heard her words, I followed her advice. In the first watch of the night, I remembered I had been born before. In the middle watch of the night, the eye of heaven became clear. In the last watch of the night, I tore apart the great dark. Then I lived with joy and happiness, feeling my whole body, and after seven days I stretched out my feet, having torn apart the great dark. And last but not least, the reimagination by Maddie, which is actually the favor my favorite poem in, in this uh, book, The First Three Women. Vijaya. When everyone else was meditating, I'd be outside circling the hall. Finally, I went to confess. I'm hopeless, I said. The elder nun smiled. Just keep going, she said. Nothing stays in orbit forever. If this circling is all you have, why not make this circling your home? I did as she told me and went on circling the hall. If you find yourself partly in and partly out, if you find yourself drawn to this path and also drawing away, I can assure you, you are in good company. Just keep going. Sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. And I think this is a very good uh, and important thing to always remember. The most direct path, path isn't a straight line. That's just, you know, our idea in a dualistic mindset, thinking, you know, it's either straight or, or it's, it's kind of a waste of time. But in reality, you know, the different places in ourselves which we have to visit, it might look very messy, but it might actually be exactly what we need in order to release those filters, those emotional and cognitive filters, which, you know, it's not only work which can be done on the cushion in formal meditation, but it has to be become part of our lives. And there have to, certain things have to be visited and have to be experienced and integrated. And it is a very, it has its own mysterious intelligence. 
and it depends on the sincerity of the aspiration in, in which manner we can uh, be delivered you know in that way because we can't willfully uh, bang our way through that doesn't really work and that's you know something one tries in the beginning and that's fine but then one needs to stop because it's it's a waste of energy it's not a forceful willful practice but it's 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 an art and a science as my first teacher Ajahn Buddhadasa always said and uh, the only thing which is really needed is this this sincere motivation to, to keep on applying oneself and opening to what comes so I think that's what I wanted to share this morning and we still have uh, about 20 or 30 minutes to sit now.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.